Good morning, Anderson Hills. Good morning, Salem Church. <laughs> you guys are here. We are glad. In fact, I want to just give you a brief update. Uh, as you know, that these two congregations are merging together. Uh, so far, it's gone very, very well. Um, on Friday, uh, the bishop and all the big wigs up in Columbus voted to make us legal. So uh, we are now one church family. This, um, this uh, Wednesday, our uh, transition team's going to start meeting. We're going to figure out all the little details, but um, I'm just so excited about what God is doing uh, with these two congregations. Well, have you ever felt at times like life is one big test and you're failing? <laughs> yeah, me too. Last week, we began the, this new series uh, called Through the Bible, this, uh, called The Story. It's taking us through the Bible. And it begins in, in the Garden of Eden with God having this vision uh, of a close relationship with his creation. But by chapter 3, humanity has already failed uh, the test. Adam and Eve uh, chose a different vision, and sin entered our world. And we've been living with the consequences ever since. In chapter 11, we have this, this odd story of, of the Tower of Babel. In this attempt to try to keep humanity from dispersing, a group of people come together to, to build a, a city and a tower that will keep them together and unified. But God sees the danger in this and decides to foil their plan by introducing different languages. And the project comes to a screeching halt. And the people scatter over the face of the earth. But God is not finished with the human race and we are told of one family, Shem, who is um, the, the son of Noah, and how that line traces through generation after generation until it arrives at a man named Abram. And it brings us uh, to chapter 12. The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will, curse the, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So, 4,000 years ago, God, in the most personal of terms, appeared to a man named Abram, who would become Abraham. Now, Abraham is, is the father of Judaism and Christianity and Islam, all three of these major religions trace their beginnings back to this man. And God came in the most personal of terms. He said, Abraham, I want the world to understand who I am. And after considering all of the options, the best way is to start with an individual, and I have chosen you. 
And that'd be a lot of pressure, wouldn't it? And the thing is, we don't know why God chose him. But I can assure you, it wasn't because he was the smartest. It wasn't because he was the most spiritual. It wasn't because he was even the most moral. But God decides to, to begin a new nation through this one man. But it has a purpose. It has a redemptive purpose. And God announces the vision to Abraham, and it's fourfold. God will make the new nation great. God will make Abraham's name great. God will bless all, the, bless all who bless Abraham, and God will bless all the nations of the world through this new nation. God will use this new nation to reveal his heart and his plan to win us back to him. And so through the nation of Israel, God is going to reveal his presence, God is going to reveal his power, and God is going to reveal his plan. And it's interesting that every story uh, in, in, of Israel points us to the coming of a Messiah. We'll see more of that in the weeks to come. Now, when you look at Abraham, you begin to realize that he is kind of an unlikely candidate to be the father of a nation. I mean, he is 75 years old. How many of you here today who are past 65 or 55 or even 45 are thinking about starting a new family. Anybody here? Okay, I see a couple hands. No, actually, I don't see a single one. Maybe, maybe, maybe 45. But 75? No way. The point that they're making is that Abraham and Sarah are way past their prime. And not only that, Abraham doesn't seem to come from the best of families. And in Joshua chapter 24, it says that long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, listen, and they worshipped other gods. So it's not like it was this great spiritual family. So Abraham and Sarah seemed to be this unlikely couple for God to use. The thing is, we're going to see this theme repeated over and over again. How God uses ordinary people to do these extraordinary things. So why? Why does God choose them? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us a hint. And this is what he writes. Chapter 12, 13. Which is the faith chapter? 12 or 13? 11. Thank you. <laughs> this guy went to seminary? Did I ever tell you I preached once when I was right out of school? I preached on the 12 commandments. Did I tell you that? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I have no idea what the other two were, but um, a, a guy who knew the Bible better than me came up and said, um, now, aren't there just 10 commandments? Whew, man. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, 12, or 13, one of those, it says this. <laughs> By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So the key here seems to be faith, trust. God asks Abraham to pick up everything and to move to another place. And Abraham says, where are we going, Lord? And God says, I'll tell you later. I'll let you know. Well, God, how long is it going to take? I'll let you know. Well, God, how do I get there? 
I'll let you know. Would you like that? I mean, would you follow God like that? Can, can you live with that kind of ambiguity? I don't know about you, but I would really struggle with that. I mean, lately, <clears throat> the GPS in my car has been leading me in the wrong direction. It's true. I don't know what's going on. Do these things have to be updated from time to time or, or something? And, and it keeps telling me that there's slow traffic ahead. There's been no slow traffic ahead. So anyhow, you can see I've got a real issue. I've got real trust issues. I don't know if I can trust my car anymore. I need to know where I'm going. Don't you? And don't think this was any easier for Abraham than for us. I mean, just when he's ready to retire, God says, you're going to aspire. Just when he's getting ready to go on social security, God says, how about social insecurity? Just when he's ready to hang it up, God says, get it down. I'm going to dust it off. Just when he's ready to sit back and, and take it easy, God says, Abraham, you're going to go on the biggest adventure of your life. Wow. God says, follow me. And the remarkable thing is that he does. Abraham picks everything up and he left. Maybe you're facing a similar test. God asks you to follow, but he doesn't say, where? Lord, where do you want me to work? I'm losing my old job. I need a new one fast, but where? Where do you want us to live? Where do you want me to go to school? You're ready to make maybe a major life change, but you have no idea where you're going. It's a task. God says, start moving, and then I'll direct you. Get up, get going, and I'll show you the way. You see, Abraham and Sarah had faith and obeyed. And because they obeyed, all of their troubles went away, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> nope. Just the opposite. In fact, Abraham and Sarah would experience famine and have to move again. And then they would experience conflict in their family. Ever had conflict in your family? No, of course not. And so Lot and Abraham had to separate and go their, their separate ways. They had lots of problems. But the hardest of all was when they experienced nothing. God promised a child, and 24 years later, nothing. God, when are we going to have this baby you promised? See, I can handle a test in life if I know when there's going to be an end to it. But the hardest test of life are when you don't know if they're ever going to end. That's hard. And so Sarah proposes her, her own way to start this new nation. And we find it in Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Of course he agreed. <laughs> Jerk. What a horrible idea. And it was horrible on several levels, but, but not as bizarre as it would be if it happened today, okay? Back then, multiple wives was, was a lot more common. But the biggest issue here is that Sarah and Abraham are trying to take matters into their own hands. And nine months later, what happens? Ishmael is born. 
And rather than solving the problem, it only makes the situation worse. You see, their solution to the problem wasn't God's solution. And Abraham learns in in a hard way that God has his own timetable, and it's useless for you and I to try to rush him. We struggle with this. And maybe some of you right now, you're going through the wind test. God, when are things going to get better? When am I going to meet the right person? When am I going to marry? When am I going to have a baby? When am I going to get my health back? When are you going to answer my prayer? When is that end of my financial situation? When's that going to come about? When are you going to help me with my children? When, God, when? But not only is there a when test, there's also a how test. How, God? How is this going to happen? I mean, this is so irrational. This makes no sense. So many questions. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us how. He says, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful. There it is, who had made the promise. Abraham and Sarah chose to believe when they could see no way this was going to take place. Folks, this is huge. And not only does that result in this miracle, baby, but it also begins to set the stage for this relationship with God. You see, because they chose to believe God, despite all of the obstacles and and all of the questions they had, God gives to them this gift of righteousness, this gift of right standing before him. And so in Genesis 15, verse 6, it says this. This is very important. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And the Apostle Paul will pick up on this verse in his letter to the Romans, to describe how we come to a relationship with God, not through our works, not by how good we are, but through faith in Christ. Sarah and Abraham believed God, and God gave them this gift of right standing, not because of anything they had done, because they hadn't done anything, except to believe God's promise about the future. With all the questions they must have had, they made a choice. And that choice was simply to believe God's promise. And so faith has been the way that we please God ever since. God comes to to us, God comes to men and women on his terms. And that relationship, that very personal relationship between God and us is always, always like that. It is on God's terms, not ours. And that's hard to do. Let me ask you, can you take all of your questions, can you take all of your objections to believing and just kind of put them aside for a moment, just for a moment? I'm not asking you to forget those things because they're important, but simply to put them aside. And I want you to think about this. Isn't that what you would expect of God if there was a God? If there really is a God, the creator of of the universe, of the sun, the moon, the stars, if there is a God that knows your name, if there is a a God who loves you enough to say, I want to start this relationship thing off with love, if there's a God who loved you enough to say that, if there's a God who who loves you enough to say, I'm going to take care of your biggest problem, and your biggest problem it's not your husband, it's not your wife, 
It's not your mortgage. It's not your children. Heck, your biggest problem is not even your mother-in-law. And you may feel like it is, but it's not. Your biggest problem is a heart problem. And that you need to have a relationship with me. And I'm going to take care of that once and for all. So if there really is a God that says, I'm going to give you a right standing with me based on your faith, on your trust and confidence in me, if there is a God that big, then wouldn't you expect that God to have the privilege and the right to say, you know what, if you want to have a relationship with me, it's going to be on my terms. And it's not based on how good you are, how self-righteous you are. It's not based on what you've done. It's based on trust and confidence in me. Because, you see, the terms, my terms, my terms are the questions that I haven't gotten answers to. Questions like, God, what about this? God, explain yourself. God, why do you allow suffering? God, why do you allow evil? God, why did you allow my loved one to get sick? God, why didn't you answer my prayer? God, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible, and you'd better explain it before I trust you. And those are our terms. And they're understandable. But if he is God, should we be surprised? Should we be shocked? Should we be offended that God would reserve the right to come to us on his own personal terms? In spite of our questions, in spite of our objections, in spite of our obstacles. But God, how are you going to do that? See, when God told them they were going to be parents, they laughed. Why? They knew better. This was an impossible problem. No human way this is ever going to be solved. And so maybe some of you are worried and you're discouraged and you're down and you're praying, God, how? How can my problems be fixed? God, there is no way on earth this marriage or this child or this illness can be solved. Well, finally, the promise comes true. Abraham is 100, Sarah is 90, and three divine visitors show up at their tent one day. And one of them says, Abraham, where's Sarah, your wife? Oh, she's in the tent. Well, next year at this time, Sarah's going to have a son. And Sarah, she's 90 years old, folks, or someplace around that. And she's uh, inside the tent, and she's listening into this conversation. And when she hears this, what does she do? You remember? She laughs. I mean, wouldn't you laugh? I sure would. And at this point, uh, the author of Genesis identifies one of the three visitors as the Lord. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah, she's terrified because she just lied. She said, I didn't laugh. But God says, oh, yes, you did. Doesn't make any sense, does it, to lie to God? God already knows everything about you. He knows all your thoughts, and guess what? He loves you anyhow. And God asks each and every one of us the same question that he asks Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
You see, folks, once you believe in the existence of God, and once you come to believe that God created the universe, nothing else is all that tough to believe. So a year later, Sarah gives birth and names her miracle baby Isaac, which means in Hebrew, he laughs. Great name, isn't it? I bet there was a lot of laughter in that delivery room that day, wasn't there? The miracle baby. Never should have happened. Never should have happened, but it does. Well, the thing is, is God's not finished with Abraham. There's one more test that's going to shake Abraham to the very core of his existence. And chapter 22 tells us the story. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Lord. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. So God finally fulfills the promise and he gives Sarah and Abraham this miracle child and then God asks them to offer him up as a sacrifice. Does that make sense to you? Does that seem fair? I mean, Isaac is a fulfillment of the promise, the one in whom all of their hopes and dreams now rest. I mean, can I be honest? I don't really like this story. I mean, so much of it seems wrong to me. But it also leaves me in absolute awe. And I can imagine that as Abraham and Isaac walked up that mountain, that all of creation hushed and grew quiet. And that all the angels gathered on that mountain that day to see, to witness to what was about to take place. And on the way up, Isaac asks a question. Father, yes, my son, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? God himself will provide the sacrifice, my son. I mean, talking, talk about trusting in the future and God does. God provides the lamb. And as Abraham raises a knife, ready to plunge it into the very chest of Isaac, a voice calls out, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Lord. Do not harm your son, your only son. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham doesn't know why, but he knew that God had given him a child, and so God had the right to ask for the child back. Abraham decided at that moment that God had a right to make any demand on his life that he chose. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a little glimpse into what Abraham was thinking 
when he writes, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Amazing man. And maybe some of you are going through the why test in your life, and to you it feels like a death. Why did I lose my job? Why did my spouse leave me? Why is my child acting like this? Why did my loved one die? And you find that God is silent, and he doesn't answer. What do we do when we face these tests in life? Now we cry, we pray, we ask for help, and we trust and obey. We keep ourselves focused on Jesus, and that's how we pass the test. You see, 2,000 years later, God would once again, at a great cost to himself, provide a lamb, his only son, as an offering for us. And what we learn throughout the Bible is that God will do whatever it takes to win us back to himself. And he does that using you and me, ordinary people, to be a part of the mission of sharing that with others. You see, God is building a new community, and he's building a kingdom. And you and I, we have the greatest message in the world. Christ is the only hope, my friends, for this strife-ridden, uh, confused, broken world. And the church is to be the carrier of that message. And we need to remember this, that all the people around us, our friends, our neighbors, our, our family members, each and every one of them has a hole in their heart, and it's only filled through Christ. Let's try as we might to, to fill it with something else. Nothing will ever satisfy until we fill it with him. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, tells a story of going to China to preach and while he was there, he was invited by the faculty of Peking University in Beijing to dialogue about Christianity. But there's also this, this, this huge spiritual hunger on this campus. And they even have a center for the study of Christianity that's located there. And after the dialogue, Rick invited the provost out for lunch. And his name was Dr. Cho. He had been a professor of engineering for some 50 years. But during lunch, he revealed to Pastor Rick that he was dying of a brain tumor. And so Rick thought to himself, here's a man who needs to know about God's love. And so he said to Dr. Cho, he said, I'm so sorry about your medical condition, but there's something that you need to know that will help you through this. Do you mind if I share it with you? God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. And that through faith in Christ, you can have forgiveness of sins and you can live forever with him. Dr. Cho, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to ask God for this gift right now? And with tears coming down his cheeks, this dying man replied, yes, yes. I want to know God's plan. I want to know God's purpose I want to know God's future for my life. I want to know him. And God wants to use you as well. And that's why you're here. God is looking for ordinary men and women 
who want to accomplish extraordinary things for him. And the good thing is, he's not looking for the most beautiful. He's not looking for the most intelligent. He's not even looking for the most spiritual. He's not looking for those who have the best resume or the best grades. He's just looking for ordinary people like Abraham and like Sarah who have gone through the test and find themselves willing to trust and obey. Because what we discover is there's no other way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this amazing couple who were tested and found true. God, all of us here today have either just gone through a test or we're in the middle of a test or we've just finished going through a test. We thank you, God, we never go through those alone. Show us, God, how we can believe in you for our future. And show us, God, how you want to use us to help others, to use ordinary people to do some incredible things, we pray in Christ's name.